0: The constant and never-ending interruptions via notifications is constantly popping us back into anxiety, stress, burnout mode. We really need to give our brains the chance to calm down, to deactivate. The notifications are literally putting us into a fight-or-flight state almost constantly. And that blocks creativity.
1: Welcome to the Inspire Podcast, where we examine what it takes to intentionally inspire. I'm your host, Bart Egnall, President and CEO of The Humphrey Group. And if you've ever asked yourself, how can you develop an authentic leadership presence? Or how can you tell stories that have people hanging off every word? Well, then this podcast is for you. And it's not just for executives. This is a podcast for anyone who wants to influence and inspire others in their work but also in their life. So, my guest on the Inspire Podcast today is a repeat offender, <laughs> Doctor Doctor Greg Wells. Greg, for those of you who have been listening to this pod, we're in season five since the beginning. You'll know that Greg has been on before once, Greg, twice. What is what appearance is this? Two or three? Uh, I think this is number three. Number so three. Oh my god, we've been doing gosh. this for a long time. And you've been on mine
0: a couple times, so you must have good things to say.
1: You know, if I keep having (laughs) you back on. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. No, well, well. For those of you who haven't heard of Greg, Greg is an incredibly accomplished public speaker. He is by credential; he's a has holds a PhD in exercise physiology. He spent over twenty years working at the hospital for sick children here in Canada, Toronto, one of the most um, well-regarded institutions in uh, pediatric medicine. He spent, I think, a decade as a professor at the University of Toronto before pursuing his practice full-time, and he is a sought-after public speaker around the world on the topic of high performance and how to fuel it. So, Greg, hopefully I did you justice, and welcome back to the Inspire podcast. Thanks, Lady. Great
0: to be here. Happy to chat to you, and, and super good to reconnect.
1: Yeah, and you know, I feel like you you put me to shame. I wrote one book, I swore I'd never write another. And here you are, we're here because you've just published your fifth book, Powerhouse. And the the subtitle is Protect Your Energy, Optimize Your Health, and Supercharge Your Performance. And so I when I know we were grabbing some drinks and we were talking about the new book, and I said, Look, you know, we got to have a conversation about this because, you know, all the leaders I work with and all the leaders the Humphrey Group work with and i think covid was an exacerbating factor but i think the way business and you know not even just business government the demands on managers and leaders have never been stronger that's been a big theme in the pod in my conversations and people are burnt out they're tired they don't have energy and and you know the idea of supercharging optimizing health and supercharging performance i think are you know, pipe dreams for many. And so I wanted to have you on to talk about the book, why you wrote it, and really leave uh, our listeners with some practical things that you can do. So let's start with what led you to write this book? Why this topic? Yeah, it's I can't believe it's number five. It's crazy.
0: Um My yeah, English teachers through grade school would lose <laughs> it if they know that I'd written five books. But anyway, um, the whole idea was that Sort of two thirds, like nearing the end of the pandemic, we saw everyone was just completely burned out, Mm -hmm. exhausted, and the numbers back that up. Apparently, 40 to 50 percent of the population reports feeling burned out at the moment. So this has persisted even up until this this time. And when I was deconstructing that, this exhaustion, this fatigue, this burnout, as a physiologist, you look inside and you try to figure out why is this happening. And really, it comes down to a lack of energy, and. Energy is produced in our bodies by little structures called mitochondria. Turns out this is what I've been researching uh, in my lab for the last 20 years. And these mitochondria break down the foods that we eat to create energy that we use for movement and thinking and everything else that the human body does. And it turns out that these mitochondria are hypersensitive. If you're stressed, they break down. But if you do positive things, you get more of them and they become stronger. So this really became... A fascination for me as to how we could help people get more energy and overcome
1: this challenge that so many people are faced with these days. So, the mitochondria uh, literally produce energy. Is that it? They
0: do. So, they'll break down foods that you eat, carbohydrates, proteins, fats, down into a little molecule called acetyl CoA, doesn't matter, drop, which then enters the mitochondria. And then we break that down to produce energy Hmm. in the form of what's known as ATP. You then break the ATP apart and that's how your muscles contract or that's how your neurons fire. That's how we digest food. It all happens at the cellular cellular level, but it's powered by this ATP, which is produced by mitochondria. That's
1: how we get our energy. So do some people, like if you take two people, right? One person who's exhausted all the time and one person who just seems to have limitless energy does the person with limitless energy literally have like more mitochondria or are their mitochondria better than the the exhausted person like what is the difference
0: that's so funny like we do all know that these people that are like energized their bunnies right they just have unlimited, seemingly limitless energy my gosh that's funny i look at my wife i think it's oh yes judith for sure uh, right she might have even more than us And there are two things about our mitochondria. We have a certain number of them and they have a certain strength, if you will. Hmm. And people have varying amounts of mitochondria and the mitochondria that we have have different strengths and and Mm -hmm. ability to produce energy. The cool thing is, is that when we exercise, for example, go for a walk, lift some weights, do some yoga, gardening, housework, doesn't matter what it is, any type of muscle contraction will do that stimulates the body to produce more mitochondria because we anticipate needing to produce more energy if we are moving. The other really cool thing is depending on the type of movement that you do, your mitochondria will strengthen themselves accordingly. So if you do things that are what we typically refer to as cardio, for example, Mm -hmm. walk, run, jog, swim, bike, paddle, your mitochondria will build up their ability to produce more energy more quickly. And that's how we get more endurance. This is Hmm. important, not just for athletes, but also important for business leaders and anyone that has a cognitively demanding job. Because not only does do mitochondria power your muscles, they also power the neurons inside your brain, which are the cells that create thinking, problem solving, creativity, innovation, you know, all of those sorts of things as well. So you can literally get stronger physically and mentally all via these little tiny structures.
1: So when we look at the stresses that business leaders have been under, everything from you know covid the shift to hybrid work the demands from employees you know often, often ones that they can't meet you know how does that impact the mitochondria in our in our bodies and consequently lead to burnout
0: you know we've been under so much and it, these are the demands that we're faced with at work the stresses that we've been faced with at home the information that we consume uh, via the news cycle and the, the negativity that exists in, on many you know, social media platforms that that we engage with. And all of that takes its toll. Mm-hmm. That information enters into our bodies via our senses, our eyes, our ears. That gets processed in a little structure inside the brain called the amygdala, which decides if it's a threat or not. Just imagine opening up the newspaper, reading a headline. Doesn't make you feel good. That's your amygdala saying that's a threat. That then activates your sympathetic nervous system which gets you ready to run or fight the problem is it's in the world today we can't run we can't fight and keep our jobs Uh, and so we have to remain physically still as all of these stress hormones and stress nervous system become activated and that's why we get exhausted because we run out of energy our blood vessels deteriorate our neurons wither and so it literally it's stress literally Damages the body. We know that seventy percent of the deaths in the Western world are caused by stress-related illnesses, cancer, heart disease, type of diabetes, metabolic syndrome. And we also that depression is linked to stress and the resulting uh, physiology as well. So everything that we can do to help ourselves overcome this matters. And it happens right down to the cells. We know that stress causes inflammation and oxidation. Mm-hmm. Sort of like rusting on your car is the same hmm. sort of process, but it's metal, not the inside of your body. And so there's like this rust that occurs inside hmm. of your cells, if, if you will, and that's, that damages our mitochondria, which impairs our ability to create energy. So it's almost like the more stress hmm. that we are under, the longer that we're under stress, the harder it becomes for us to produce energy in order to cope, which causes this downward spiral of hmm. exhaustion, overwhelm, and burnout. And the good thing, though, is that you can go in the opposite direction and create an upward spiral of wellness as well.
1: Hmm. And that's, I know, what you, you've wrote in this book to lay out how to do. And you've talked you're about kind of four simple yet powerful techniques. So what is your, just give us at the high level this four-step approach, and then let's go into each step.
0: Sure, the, the high-level approach is breathe, get oxygen into the body, move, spark your mitochondria, energize, great energy. Let's fuel our mitochondria and then thrive. Let's apply that new energy to the things that we want to do in our life at the highest possible level. It could be anything. It could be playing with your kids, making great food or doing whatever it is that we do at work that, you know, in our, in our jobs, in our profession. So breathe, move, energize, thrive is the framework.
1: Okay. So let's, let's go into those and let's, let's imagine, you know, when I think about the people who listen to this podcast, let's, you know, just to give you a few archetypes of people I know who listen, I have one client I know is a, vice president of the bank, he says to me, you know, I've never felt more demands. You know, I've gone from pre-COVID managing a team in person of, you know, five people oversee other people to, uh, you know, the flatter organization, I have 12 direct reports, constant meetings on Zoom. I can't exercise anymore, even though I'm, and now I'm hybrid. I have to get into the office and my health has suffered. So there's an example of someone, or I have another person who is a, you know, senior in the bureaucracy of government, you know, is just wakes up at seven, logs on to get ahead of the email. Her husband will sometimes literally shove food under the door for her to eat, right? And is on on meetings until the evening. And you know, her that amygdala, you know, is, is always high, right? Hijacked, right? It's always there's always stress, and there's really no downtime emotionally so let's take these two as examples and and perhaps they're somewhat extreme but they're increasingly common examples of people i talk to and how they could apply this first step of breathing
0: for high performers there's so much coming at us all the time and that's because we want to make a difference in the world we want to do well at our jobs right we want to perform at a high level and so we take the meetings we have things to do we have tasks to delegate we have Projects to complete. We have proposals. We have speeches, right? There's so much that we need to do and so much that we can do, which is awesome. It's a huge opportunity. The challenge with that, though, is it creates a relentless set of never ending stressors, which hit your mind Mm -hmm. and your body. Mm -hmm. And the magic in shifting out of a state where we gradually sort of deteriorate and get sicker over an extended period of time we get exhausted, we get a burnout. It's not going to happen in a day, but it will happen over a day, a week, a month, a year. Similarly, we might not experience depression immediately, but over the course of weeks, months of chronic, unrelenting stress, which leads to overwhelm and then burnout, we are then in a state where we are, you know, we're seeing this in terms of quiet quitting or lack of presenteeism and all of these other hmm. challenges that we're, that we're faced with. And so when it comes to breath, What I love to get people to use breath for is to create micro breaks throughout the course of the day. Okay. And the magic is that the long, slow exhale tells the stress region of the brain, part of your brain that controls stress, that everything's okay, that it's all right for you to relax and decrease your activity level. So if we all just take a breath in, let's just breathe in for four And do a nice eight-second exhale. Shake loose those shoulders, little smile. Let's just try that one more time. Nice deep breath in. Just a nice, relaxing exhale. Relax your face, your shoulders, your arms, your belly. If you're driving, don't fall asleep. Everyone keep your eyes on the road. (laughs) And maybe have a little giggle. But basically what we just did there was send... Electrical signals to the stress region of the brain saying, it's okay. It's time to relax. The opposite is true. If you do short, fast, hard exhales, you actually increase the activity in the stress region of the brain. And you see that at the extreme when tennis players hit a ball and scream at the same time, right? That activates the stress system, which makes you stronger, more powerful, increases that fight or flight response. The opposite, the long, slow Exhales is what enables us to calm down. And you'll see world-class performers doing this right before they're about to perform. They'll take those relaxing breaths. Watch an Olympian on the start line. What are they doing? Deep breaths. Watch a world-class public speaker right as they step up to the podium and lay out their notes. They usually take a deep breath before they look up and start to address the crowd. World-class business leaders... In moments of pressure, stress, and tension will pause, allow silence to exist, take a breath, you see them considering the issue, and then will respond. And this breath not only calms your brain down, but also gives you a little bit of space and time. And that shifts us out of reaction mode into a response mode which enables you to be a leader under high-pressure high, perform- high pressure circumstances. Reactions rarely go well. Responses usually do.
1: So this isn't something that you, know, you have to go and do a 30-minute meditation. This isn't something where you have to go to a yoga class. What I'm hearing is that you can insert this breathing if you're a high performer into key moments in your day, either in anticipation of some high-pressure opportunity or... If you're facing stress and you want to kind of reset, is that right? Absolutely. So
0: it's like something
1: that you can do right before you're about to do
0: engage in something that you know is going to be stressful, a phone call, a meeting. Just imagine you're about to walk into a room to do a presentation, right? Stop, deep breath, reset, walk in, and you're in the best place that you can possibly be. There's another style of breathing that you can use if you're under a situation where there is a long period of stress, let's call it a long meeting or a difficult negotiations or something of that nature. And that's called box breathing. I learned this from work in special forces, and this is what first responders use. This is what soldiers use when they're in operations. And it involves breathing in for four seconds, holding for four seconds, out for four seconds and holding for four seconds we can try it together just so people get a sense of what this feels like we'll go so in two three four hold two three four out two three four and hold two three
1: four yeah that whole the holds very long (laughs) it feels very long um and it's the,
0: it's the holds where you need to relax. That's where we train ourselves. That's where we learn to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. So a lot of people are doing Wim Hof method, you know, cold water immersion these days. It's all the rage. And that's the breathing practice that you do when you're in the water to stay calm in the cold. This is a practice that we can use to stay calm under stress. No one will notice it especially if you breathe through your stomach and not your chest. I've done this so many times in meetings and sessions that are challenging. And it enables you to stay calm, cool, and collected, grounded, and centered under very difficult circumstances. It's, it's used by the people who do some of the most difficult work uh, in the world, literally to stay calm, cool, and collected under pressure.
1: Okay, so let's, So that's the breathing. And I like how simple it is. Tough to master, but, but not time You know, dependent. Let's go the second piece, move, because here's when where I'm thinking. And look, movement for me is is a big part of my life, being on the bike, moving around. But I know again, back to some of my clients, to say, look, you know, Bart, I'd love to exercise more. I'm just in sitting in my chair. I'm on Zoom. I'm at the office, traveling, can't do it. So, what's your second step in this path?
0: The second step is to move, and I know that this is very difficult for people because it does take some time. And the reason why we need to prioritize this is that not only does it improve our health and wellness, we know that. We know that exercise reduces your risk of cancer, heart disease, type diabetes, metabolic syndrome, as well as mental health challenges like depression and anxiety. We know all of those things. But quite often, even though we know that that's the case, we're so invested in our work and our profession that we will sacrifice our long-term health in order to get short-term. Well, unfortunately, in 20 years, when you're sick, you'll give all of your money away to get your health back. Right. that's what I'm trying to prevent ultimately with this. But what my real message is around movement is that when we incorporate this into our day, it actually elevates you cognitively. We know that if you want to be in Beta brainwave mode, hustle, focus, execute, get stuff done, deep focus mode that doing a little bit of exercise, as little as three minutes, will increase blood flow to the brain, will increase oxygen delivery to the brain, will increase sugar delivery to the brain, will increase BDNF, brain-derived neurotrophic factor, which stimulates the growth of new neurons inside the brain. It literally sparks the brain into an ability to hmm. focus and get things done. So if you know that you have a block of work to do, don't be afraid to go for a quick Five minute walk just hmm. around the office. So, even that will make a difference. Absolutely. We know that three to five minutes is more than enough to bring the brain to life. If you do things like walking, the beautiful thing about walking is it drops you out of beta brainwave mode, hustle, focus, execute, stress zone, down into an alpha state, and maybe even into a theta state. This is where we can do strategic thinking and creativity, which leads to innovation and problem solving. You can't physiologically solve problems, come up with new solutions to old problems when we are stressed. Typically, it requires a certain degree of relaxation, mentally and physically, and we can achieve that by going for any type of exercise that is rhythmic and repetitive in nature. Walk, run, jog, cycle, paddle, I truly believe that this is why we've seen so many people in business shift away from golf Hmm. and get into cycling because the conversations that you Mm -hmm. have when you're out on a bike, the new ideas that pop into your brain when you're on the bike, when you're out there for a while, I mean, it's just like a flood of creativity that occurs. Totally. So I would love for everyone listening to think once a week, can you go for a walk without your device Hmm. and just let your mind wander and see what pops up as a new idea Hmm. Similarly, if you need to solve a problem, if there's a challenge that needs to be overcome, if there's a solution that you need to develop, you're not probably going to be able to come up with that sitting, staring at your email inbox. You're probably going to be able to come up with that with that to, for that if you go for a walk and leave your phone at your desk.
1: So the keys here, what I'm hearing, one, yes, it does take more time than the breath work, but... It doesn't have to be a two hour ride. You know, if you just, if you, all you have is five minutes, get up, walk around. Two, rhythmic is the way to go. You want something that kind of allows you to be kind of present, but not too. Fo- and three, get rid of the devices so that you can let the creativity flow.
0: The constant non and never ending interruptions via notifications is constantly popping us back into anxiety, stress, hmm. burnout mode. We really need to give our brains the chance to calm down, to deactivate. The notifications are literally putting us into a fight or flight state almost constantly. And that blocks
1: creativity. You've got this app, Vivio, which allows you to monitor your health. It's tied to the Apple Watch. You know, I bought an Apple Watch and frankly, I don't use it because it's just more notifications. It has nothing to do with your app. It's just in general. So... Do the do well-intentioned devices like this actually work against this goal of allowing us to move and reset?
0: I have a huge smile on my face. I talk a lot about digital distraction. I talk so much about how important focus is about defending our attention in order for us to be able to do our best work in a completely undistracted environment. And at the same time, I have a tech company that's building an app for Apple Watch that tracks your health and wellness. You, to give you Individualized notifications. You about how You're supposed to get out there. Yeah, I know. I'm a complete
1: hypocrite. It's driving me crazy. <laughs>
0: how but do you I, reconcile I,
1: those things, and how should people listening reconcile?
0: The easiest way I think for us to reconcile the whole issue around technology, which is that the technology that we have is absolutely incredible. The internet has given us the you know, the entire mm-hmm, history of mm-hmm. all human knowledge in our pockets at all time. Every song ever created is in your pocket mm-hmm. at all time. We can video call our kids no matter where we are in the world. We can track our fitness to levels that we've never imagined possible before. It cost millions of dollars and laboratory equipment to right. do what is in your watch these days. So I mean, technology is absolutely fantastic. The problem is, is that when we use it compulsively, mm-hmm. It becomes very damaging to our mental health. Hmm. I believe that when we use it intentionally, it can be tool, it can be a tool that can elevate us. So for example, on my watch, I have turned off all the notifications on every single app, except my wife, Judith, can message me. My daughter Ingrid can message me, but no one else. And yeah, I allow notifications through from my own app, but those only come through once a day at 9 a.m. So I know when that's coming coming in. But it's very, very important for us. As people who are interested in high performance, in health, in well-being, in truly reaching our absolute potential, that we train ourselves to use technology intentionally, not compulsively. If you're FaceTiming your kids, fabulous. If you're doing a, a video call with your team to make sure everybody's on point for a project, absolutely magic. If you are doom scrolling through social at 10 o'clock at night while you're trying to fall asleep, that isn't going to serve you very well. So we have to make sure that we are using this tech the right way and avoiding becoming addicted to it. And these devices and apps are designed to capture and hold your attention. And so it is extraordinarily difficult, but extremely important for us to do that.
1: So all the more reason to breathe and move.
0: It's a chance to breathe and move, but actually to move without your device, right? Like, can you go for a bike ride and Hmm. leave your phone at home? I know there's a safety issue, but like, there's, that's a question. Like if I go for a walk with the dog, can I leave my phone at home? That's why I got into photography. So I can take my camera with me, but not my phone. Hmm. Um, So that's the game. It's trying to separate those things out and give yourself a break. Like, how do you feel without your device for an hour? If there's you know a little bit of crawly hands, right? Figure out where it is. Twitching it's a chance to to, if you're twitching a little bit, maybe it's a chance to disconnect
1: a touch from now from time to time. So let's look at your third step: energize. I I mean, the first one, breathe, makes sense. Move, makes (laughs) sense. What what does it mean? Energize.
0: (laughs) What I discovered around and energy and helping our mitochondria function better is that there's this powerful principle in health, wellness, and human physiology called hormesis, which simply means a little is good, a lot is not. Okay. A little bit of stress is absolutely fantastic for us. It leads to growth. Chronic, unrelenting stress leads to illness. So a little bit of stress is good. We want some challenge in our life. A lot of stress is problematic because it becomes overwhelming and leads to burnout. So a little bit of stress is good, a lot's not. Another example would be salt. No salt, you die. Appropriate amount of salt enhances your health. Too much salt, you die. Right? Mm. Exercise is the same. No Mm. exercise, you get sick. The right amount of exercise improves your health. Too much exercise, you get sick. Hot, heat, cold, even sleep, is exactly the same. So the body works according to this principle of a little bit of stress is good, a lot is not. And the way that we can leverage this in our life is by adding in micro stressors that improve our health and well-being. For example, once a week, jump in the sauna. Absolutely fantastic. That's a heat stressor that produces heat shock proteins that improve your cardiovascular system. Maybe once a week, take a cold shower. Just let the water hit your forehead or between your shoulder blades. And that cold water calms down your parasympathetic nervous system, which helps you to decrease your overall stress levels. Fruits and vegetables are believe it or not, little micro stressors that then lead to, yeah, and that's one of the things that sparks the body to get healthier when we have lots of fruits and vegetables is that the little tiny um, polyphenols and flavonoids that are in fruits and veggies that make fruits and veggies, green, purple, yellow, red, orange, and even white, those little molecules improve our health and well being, and scrape out all of the oxidation and inflammatory um, molecules that are circulating around our bodies when at, when we are stressed. So, another great reason for us to add in and sprinkle in a little bit of exercise. Don't want you to necessarily worry about getting to the gym. I just want you to get a little bit more steps. So, a little bit of stress is good, a lot is not. Build in those breaks. And this is where literally every single principle around health and wellness that we hear about always usually falls into this principle of hormesis where a little bit is good a lot is not which also helps us to cut out so much of the noise and nonsense Mm. that exists on the internet around health and wellness practices where everyone takes things to the absolute extremes and the reality is the extremes very rarely if ever work
1: yeah so what you're saying here on energize is you almost have to like do whether it's something small like eating fruit or something more tangible like the sauna or the cold plunge or doing a, an activity, you have to challenge your body. Is that right? And that turns on the energy? Is that, am, I, am I kind of capturing this
0: right? 100%. Yeah, you're exactly correct. Like We want a little bit of challenge in our lives. It's that challenge that leads to growth. If there's no challenge, we're just bored, hmm. right? And there's nothing to spark your interest, then your cognition will decline. If there's nothing to spark your muscles, you will gradually get out of shape. A little bit of challenge interspersed with rest is what enables us to get on this growth trajectory. And it's actually how we create sustainable high performance. If you think about the infinity symbol, we have interrelated cycles of performance. So we increase our performance. We expend our energy. We do what we love to do. We then drop down into a rest phase, which might be something like a great meal or sleep. or connecting with loved ones. We then go back up the next day and we do our performances again. We then get back down into a cycle of recovery, regeneration. That might be music. That might be solitude. That might be meditation. And then we creep back up again, back into a performance zone. And when we consider the twin cycles of performance and rest in an infinity loop, that is visually how I try to explain it to people that healthy high performance is sustainable, but it depends upon alternating performance and rest
1: consistently. So what kind of stimuli, I mean, someone listening, like the two people I gave you the example of earlier, what would you advise, what would be some options? Like, let's say you say, look, I don't have a sauna. <laughs> um, <laughs> what What would be the menu of options that you would encourage them to consider to energize?
0: I think that one of the easiest things that almost everyone can do is two or three times a week, take a hot shower, take a hot bath, allow it to, you know, stay in it for Three to five minutes, a little bit longer if you can stand it, but any sort of heat stress a few times a week, fabulous. The 30s, and by I'm just going to throw options out here. You don't have to do them all. People can just pick and choose whichever one resonates for them. The 30 second cold shower at the end of your shower in the morning, Mm -hmm. spectacular, spikes adrenaline just a touch to sharpen your mind, but also decreases your risk of upper respiratory tract infections by around 30%. So it like Mm. radically improves your immune system. Another micro powerful thing you can do is leverage the power of music. We can Mm. listen to energizing music on the way to work, calming music on the way home. We know that music interacts with the brain in a powerful way and can even be used as an antidepressant. Music elevates our mood and provides us with energy. We can use food both as fuel to power our performances physically and mentally, getting your energy from really healthy foods. But then we can also use food as healing. That's eating the rainbow of veggies and fruits to heal, repair, and regenerate our bodies after periods of stress. And of course, the ultimate recovery and regeneration modality after periods of stress, mentally or physically, a hard day at work or a hard workout, is, of course, sleep, which is the foundation of two previous books that I wrote. We're right. always looking for people to get that, you know, seven to eight hours of sleep, about an hour or two of deep sleep. So 25% or so of deep sleep is magic. And if we can do those two things, enough sleep and quality sleep, reflecting the total amount that we sleep and the hour of deep sleep that hopefully we're getting, that's what enables that, that deep rest and recovery to occur as well.
1: It's wild to think I, about music. I mean, I've read that uh in uh, i think it's the olympics the that music is banned as a performance enhancement is that true because it is uh, no. So like powerful. if
0: you look at it is so powerful if you look at most um olympic athletes they are listening to music right before they compete okay. might not be allowed to play it during during the competition yeah i think it was during that you itself. couldn't have it So like Usain Bolt, for example, there's photos of him behind the start line of the 100-meter dash. He's always wearing headphones. Michael Phelps, always wearing headphones, but you can't wear them while you race. Um, But they're the most, I actually think, in the the current environment, where around 25% of the population is struggling with depression or anxiety, the performance benefits of music are fantastic. But I'm actually much more interested in the positive benefits of music for our mood So many people are struggling with their mental health at the moment. And we know that music enhances mood. We know that music can be used to help people with depression. To feel a little bit better. We know that music can be used to help people with anxiety to calm down and deactivate their psychology. So when we build playlists for our life and craft music lists that energize us in the morning to get us ready to rock at work or help us to calm down at the end of the day or psych us up during our workouts or put everyone into a great mood during dinner. These are all tools that are tangible things that we can do that have a demonstrable physiological effect that help us to perform better physically and mentally, but also to improve our health and well-being at the same time.
1: Okay, let's turn to your last point, thrive. <laughs> when I heard this, I thought, just thrive, darn it. Just thrive just already. Just, just come start on. Start Yeah. <laughs> okay, so oh does the, what does it mean? Does it reminds you of that, that movie's Team America where they say, just act, damn it. Just act. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, okay, what does it mean when you tell someone to thrive?
0: I so don't want this to be toxic positivity, but I like completely realized that it's like, I know things are terrible for you, but just try. You just can thrive, like, it's not what I, come on. <laughs> and it's like four, 45% of the population struggling with burnout right now. And they're like, I hate crack walls. He's the worst. <laughs> but I want this to be really, really easy for people. And really when we break it all down and we get into this zone where we are maybe a little bit healthier, we've got a little bit more energy and we want to start getting away from coping, which is all we've been doing for the last three years valid. It's been a rough three mm-hmm. years. But then we want to start to shift back into thriving. We want to get out of survival and get in, like get away from surviving and back into thriving is the way that I've heard it phrased, or mm-hmm. away from languishing and back into flourishing over and over and over again. Study after study after study. So I break this down, look for different pathways. It usually comes down to The idea that we really benefit from a sense of community, which is one of the things that was taken away during COVID, valid. I'm a medical researcher. I believe that we needed to wear masks and stay separated for a while. That served its purpose, but it took its toll. And we lost a sense of community. And now we have to craft that again. We have to pull together our dream teams, the people in our lives who elevate us personally personally, the people in our lives who elevate us professionally, like you and I do, you know, sort of fit balls of that mold. We ride our bikes and we chat, we play at the cottage, but then also, you know, we work, we do projects and we talk about, about our, our businesses, but we want to try to surround ourselves with three to five people who elevate us personally. And maybe you can find another three to five people who elevate you professionally. The cool thing is, is although we want those people in our lives they may not all need to be live in three dimensions okay. in the space. I actually count in listening to an audio book in this hmm. learning from an amazing podcast. So I have that two or three podcasts I listen to. I, I know kind you of listen to every episode of
1: mine. It's okay. You know, exactly. you, just, you, you amazing, can listen yes, to them twice. So, I don't mind.
0: <laughs> it's a, it's incredible how much I know about leadership communication right. as an exercise physiologist. But um Point being is that we want to try to craft this dream team for ourselves personally and professionally. Three to five people, I think, is entirely doable. Um, if you want to learn from people with great books, great podcasts, just imagine a year of consuming fabulous information from some of the greatest minds in human history, you know, from in the form of audiobooks or the greatest minds in current humanity in the form of podcasts from you know some of the interviews that you can get with some epic human beings imagine a year of that versus doom scrolling through social and how different you would feel listening to something that elevates you versus, you know, random nonsense that we are seeing through our, our social media screens. And it's interesting that social media started as social networks, right? You connecting to your friends, but it is very much morphed into a stream of content. And I broadcast on social. I try to make it as positive as I can. I know that it, you know, helps my business. So it's, I struggle with this, but really what I want people to do is to be very careful about building that community. We know that having strong sense of communities actually extends lifespan. It is a more powerful predictor of your risk of mortality than whether or not you quit smoking, whether or not you drink, whether or not you do rehab after a cardiac event, after a heart attack, Even whether or not you do physical activity, it is that powerful for us. And I'm currently watching um, a series on Netflix about the Blue Zones with Dan Buettner from National Geographic. And over and over and over again, as he travels the world and finds the seven to nine communities where people typically live to be 100 years old at higher rates than anywhere else in the world, when these centenarians are interviewed and they're asked, what is most important to you in your long life? Almost every single one of them is saying, "I have a close group of family and friends who surround me, and so I want us to cultivate that as well. Great people who elevate us at work, great
1: people who elevate us at home." And that's it. Yeah, I think you're you're bang on. You know, even though we, you know, can't always be with people in person, we can have great connections. I mean, I think about in my own life, my personal life, you have know, a couple. Friend groups that have just been going for years. Now they start in COVID. My guys who like the NFL with me, friends who are into cycling, and then I've got my work crew. You know, people who are, who aren't in my company but who we share and talk about the challenges. I mean, you're part of it, right? Challenges we go through, and having that that group to turn to really does help you thrive. So, yeah, I like it. It's not it's not that you can kind of just be positive to thrive what you're really advising is get that core group who you don't work with to help build you up
0: yeah and maybe that you know it might be a group at work we want we mm-hmm. need people okay. who are around us professionally who are awesome but even more importantly those people in our personal lives because really that's where we're going to i mean those are the people that we're going to be with in 30 40 50 years right you want to be surrounded by your friends for your mm-hmm. entire life and of course you know people move in and out of our our lives and that's fine But we want to make sure that that's a strong foundation because, I mean, when things get tough, those are the people that you're going to call. And things will get tough, right? There's good phases of life and there's difficult seasons of life. So we want to make sure that we have those people who put you in a good mood, who support you and love you unconditionally, uh, and then who you can rely on for a a laugh every once in a while or, you know, uh, a trip up to their cottage if they're so kind to invite you.
1: Well said, right. well said. <laughs> poke, poke. Sneaking it in there. That's right. And with poke, that, we have to wrap the Inspire podcast. That's right. <laughs> no, absolutely. Yeah. I think it's it's bang on. Friends are Friends are the fuel for life. So just to sum up, you know, as your research has found, it's never like rates of burnout, rates of stress off the charts. And it sounds like the magic formula, build this mitochondria, breathe, move, energize, thrive. Where can people get the book? where can they get your content? Because as you pointed out, you produce a lot of great content. Uh, it will be amazing to
0: meet everybody through my website at drgreggwells.com uh, All my social media are at drgregwells. There's a podcast there. All the books are there. The blog is there. So I would be thrilled to connect with people. And if anyone wants to pick up the book Powerhouse, I would be super grateful to um, have that in the world a little bit more. So thanks for the opportunity to chat to your audience. It's always it's a pleasure, Greg. You.
1: I think you got a great message here that people need to hear. And Whether you're working 80 hours a week and you just start breathing, doing some box breathing, or you've got the time to now build a new friend group, some really powerful things. So thanks so much. Thanks for writing the book and for coming on the pod. Thanks, buddy. Hope you enjoyed my conversation today. With Dr. Greg Wells, I always love talking to Greg. You know, his research and insights into health and human performance are just so valuable for us in the leadership space. You know, and so whatever kind of leadership you're practicing, look, it's uh, there's never been more demands on our energy. And I think he's got some very tangible ways to build and develop that energy. So pick up his new book, Powerhouse. Next time on the pod, I'm pleased to welcome Paul Butcher. Paul was a client for almost a decade. He was a award-winning investor relations executive at CN Rail. And I had the great privilege of being hired by him to work closely with the CN investor relations team to help them craft and tell their story. And Paul, after retiring after a distinguished career, and I got to talking about how the work we did together from a communication standpoint, really was unique in his experience in the investor relations space Uh, and so we said look you know why don't we do something together to bring this approach to more audiences and so he's joined the humphrey group to lead our investor relations practice and i'm very excited to welcome him to the pod to talk about how investor relations communication can help companies unlock shareholder value so join me next time and uh get some insights into what the leading companies do to use communication in their investor process. Thanks for listening. Uh, If you've enjoyed it, we've now crossed 100,000 listens. Really happy to hear that it's resonating. Give us a rating. Give us a review. Helps others find the pod. And as always, be inspirational. Thanks.